0: Welcome to this episode of the SRUC podcast. We're doing something new today, which is a student spotlight. And it's a chat with Gillian Gordon, who's an SRUC and Edinburgh University student, who's had a really interesting and unique journey with us. I'm William Mansell. I'm the digital manager at SRUC. And what we'll be chatting through today is Gillian's career to date and how she's arrived at where she's arrived and some of the challenges that she's faced along the way. Uh, hi, Gillian. How are you doing?
1: Hiya. Hi there. Yes, I'm good. Thank you. Thank you very
0: much. Gillian, you've had a really interesting journey with SRUC and Edinburgh University since leaving school. I think our listeners would find it fascinating. Take me through from school and to your studies with SRUC. What's your sort of origin story?
1: Um, So, yes, um, growing up, I was always interested in agriculture, but I never spent that much time actively working in it. Um, there was some distant family connections and some connections through horses, which allowed me to keep a little bit of, a, of an eye in the game. But it was really more focused on biology. Unfortunately, when I was at school, I, um, high school that is, I did really struggle. Um, I did not enjoy it. I couldn't find any topics that I enjoyed. So I, I didn't really succeed there very well. Um, and it was only when I went to SRUC that I found my passion um, in animal science at the time, and that has developed into animal research. Um, but yeah, that's how I got started.
0: Great. And you're dyslexic, and you found this out when you were at school, um, and you never really had support for it until studying with the SREC. What kind of difference did that support make?
1: Uh, absolutely huge difference. Um, so at high school, it was the standard procedure of you sat in front of a computer and you did a sort of video game style online assessment, which always came back is oh, yeah, there's a really high chance that you have dyslexia and that this will impact the way that you learn and impact the way that you can um, succeed. Uh, but being a large school, there wasn't really much I could do. I was passing my assessments, so it wasn't really a concern for anybody at that time. But when I came to SRUC and I submitted my first assessment, my lecturer at the time said, oh, I don't have it in my notes that you're dyslexic. Um, that We can get that sorted. We'll take you through the proper assessment um, procedure. Uh, we'll, we'll, just, we'll just get it sorted and we'll give you the support and the help that you need. Being able to access that assistance in the sense of um, proofreaders and um, scribes for written assessments and perhaps extra time if it was an, an extra long essay, it really allowed me to, to work to my best potential, really. Um, and I went from being a C, sometimes D grade student all the way up to A's and B's, um, which was absolutely fantastic and really encouraged me to stay in education.
0: Well, let's talk about your education journey since then, because you've covered an awful lot since those early days um, doing an HNC. So um, take me through that journey up to where, you're now, where you are now. So you, you started off doing an HNC with SRUC, is that right?
1: Yeah, that's right. So I started all the way back in 2011 doing an HNC in bioscience. Um, at the time, I was actually the, the only HNC student on the course. So I was a bit nervous because I thought, oh my goodness, I'm grouped in with all these people who are smarter than me. They could get into the degree program, um. But actually, Donald Mitchell, who was in charge at the time, sat us all down and said, "Well, I expect every single one of you in the room to be graduating with with honours in four years' time. Um, irrelevant of how you got onto the course, that's what you can achieve if you work hard. Um, and that was just such a relief, re- really, to be included as sort of one cohort rather than being sort of put out as a different type of person because I have a neurodivergence, so that was exciting. So from the HNC I continued on to do my HND and then just moved seamlessly into third year and into my honours year. Um, So in the same time as everybody else I achieved my honours degree in applied animal science um, staying in the same classes as everybody else and getting the same education entirely as everybody on the HND and the degree course. So that was absolutely fantastic and really allowed me to to develop my um, education in a seamless way. It was really good. And um, from my degree, I moved straight into a Edinburgh Uni SRUC collaborated master's. So this was a online master's called International Animal Welfare Ethics and Law. And I joined that in the um, autumn of graduating, so 2015. Um, this master's unfortunately it is totally self-funded so I had to work full-time while doing it so that meant I did it part-time but it was online um, so this was all before COVID but it was an online completely studied online master's and that was um, that was great fun because it allowed me to actually work full-time uh, to cover it and meaning that I didn't have to incur massive student debt so that was great from there I moved on to a PhD which is termed a three plus one PhD. So that means that your first year is a master's by research. So I got another master's, um, this time in human geography, where I looked into a more social science side of agriculture um, compared to what I've been used to. And now I am in my final year of my PhD. So hopefully I'll be submitting that at the end of the year, um, where I've been looking at the way that farmers produce Beef coming out of the dairy herd and focusing on the social science aspect. So, yeah, that's me so far.
0: Brilliant. Brilliant. That's, really, that's a really interesting journey. So, your PhD that you're doing, what's that center centered around? What research are you doing?
1: So, my main research focus is the beef coming out of the dairy herd and how is that bred and produced? And we're looking to encourage the way that the breeding decision is conducted to improve welfare and sustainability and see what potentials there are there for those areas, including food security as well, Um, because it's such a massive area of production in the UK and we really do not talk about it. Few people actually know about it unless they're directly involved in the sector.
0: Yeah. And so what goals are you pursuing right now in relation to that? Do you have set, set things that you're trying to do?
1: Absolutely. So I'm really, really lucky. When it comes to my goals, I've actually achieved quite a lot of them so far, which is terrifying to say, really. But I've got all my data. So last summer, I was travelling around the country interviewing over 50 people who were either farmers or perhaps worked for genetics companies or had large... um, Large farms they really worked in integrated supply chains. So lots of lots of different types of people where I interviewed them about their breeding decisions and about how they influence the breeding decisions of the beef animals coming out of the daily herd. Now that we have all that, I'm conducting a form of analysis on all those interview transcripts. So every single interview was transcribed, i.e. you type out every word that's said and then you can perform analysis on that and really get into what they're saying, how they're saying it, before we can start to overlay what this means for the wider sector. Um, To supplement that, I've conducted a large data research project looking at the British cattle tracing records um, that has allowed me to really understand the size and scale of the sector at the same time.
0: That must be giving you a real sort of uh, feel for the sector then. It must be giving you a real sort of sense of how it all locks together.
1: Absolutely, yeah. It really showed me how... um, We've got to stop looking at things in isolation. And actually, uh, a dairy farmer isn't just a dairy farmer, and a beef farmer isn't just a beef farmer. Um, There's so much more to it, and there's so much more involved in that relationship, especially the relationship around these animals, because they will pass from multiple places normally. And that could be within one predefined supply chain, or that could be just a general going to an open market and being sold at that stage, you know, when they're perhaps a couple of weeks old, all the way up to when they're finishing. And they could be sold three or four times. It's it's that continual process where you need to try and get all those people who are involved, they need to have their opinion heard when it comes to the breeding of that animal. And to date, that's not really being done. So we need, there's a lot of area of improvement here.
0: And I think technology will play a role in that, won't it? With the digital technology and the 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 tools we have for gathering data and analyzing Mm. data these days, we're probably in a really exciting time in terms of finding out what what, what farmers are doing, how they're managing their land, what kind of feed they're using, and that whole whole bigger picture, we we can really get a sense of it, can't we?
1: Absolutely, yes. There's a huge link of precision agriculture in this. So that involves such things such as weighing all the way to the the larger things um, like SRUC's green cow. So there's loads of different involvements here. And with dairy beef, we actually are in a really unique position because most of the dairy herd is um, bred through artificial insemination. It allows us to select the sire breed um, and the sire itself that's specifically best suited for that dam to produce an animal that is perhaps more feed efficient, that perhaps is more robust, that um, can finish quicker, can have a better carcass composition. There's so many different things we can look at through the genetics and the genomics of those animals that if we take the entire supply chain into consideration, we can come up with a better solution for everybody. Not just in the fact that it can be more sustainable, but it could have a higher welfare and it can be a more economically viable animal at the end of the day.
0: And that's really important, isn't it? Is the welfare of the animals one mm. of the top considerations, isn't it? It's got to be that if we're, breeding, if we're selectively breeding, you have to be making sure you're breeding animals that are healthy and happy.
1: Absolutely. I'm a very strong advocate for welfare. It's a lot of my background is in welfare with my, my first master's. Um, and by working in the dairy sector currently and being a bit more involved nowadays, uh, farmers do consider their welfare absolutely every single second of the day. But what we can do is we can make those decisions ed- easier for us through our breeding decisions. Um, long gone are the days where bobby calves, um, so that's a, a common term that we use to describe animals that, that didn't have any value that were coming out of the dairy herd. And unfortunately, due to that, had to be shot. Um, because they just were not viable to raise, they're they're gone. They're a thing in the past now. Um, It's very, very rare. Normally that will only occur if the animal, unfortunately, is sick Um, and there's nothing that the farmer or veterinarian can do. So there's lots of opportunities here for us to improve animal welfare and the whole field of dairy beef has came from that as we step away from the um, non-viable animals to produce these more and more viable animals that are increasingly important in the supply chain.
0: And when dairy cows enter the sort of um, the, the, the finishing aspect of their life, how, how, how do they enter the the food chain as as, as a meat product then? as, a, as a, 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 I always thought beef cows were steaks and dairy cows were milk. And I didn't actually think about what happens to dairy cows afterwards. So could you take us through that?
1: Of course, of course. So, yeah, that is a really common perception is that a beef cow is a beef cow and a dairy cow is a dairy cow. For all intents and purposes, they are. A dairy cow's life will start um, with the main goal of producing that milk product. And that can be for various reasons. That could be for milk sales, for yogurt production, cheese production, and there's a whole host of breeds that fit these specific niches of dairy production. Now, what I'm looking into is actually the calves coming out of those milking dairy cows. So yes, when those animals that are being milked come to the end of their life, they will enter the food chain and they make up a vast proportion Of the mints and burgers and lower value products that we eat today, although some of them can produce fantastic steaks. Where my research comes in is actually in the breeding of those animals. So because of improvements in technology, we no longer need to have a one-for-one replacement. So every calf that that dairy cow produces every single year to keep her in that lactation cycle, we generally on average need about 20% of our herd to be replaced. So that means we've got on average about 80% of animals that we can use for beef production. In reality, it's not as, mind the pun, it's not as black and white as that. It's a bit higher, um, the proportion that we'll have to put to dairy to ensure that we've got those replacements. If we've got some extras, we can always sell them on or we can grow our herd. But there is a significant proportion of animals that are put to beef sires. So that means we've got animals coming out of the dairy herd that are half dairy, half beef. These animals are really valuable because they can be bred entirely for commercial purposes. They they could be used for breeding animals themselves in the suckler herd, so moving into the beef herd. They make very good mothers because they do have that increased milk production, but they also are fantastic beef products because they have the increased intramuscular fat deposits that you get from a daily bred animal. So they ha- tend to have that little bit higher marbling if they're finished correctly. So there's a lot of potential for them. And as we grow to increase the sustainability in our systems, it's a fantastic idea for, for us to look into to ensure that we're getting everything out of every animal and ensuring that in my book, I like the term is um, livestock should only ever have one bad day. Um, and that's what I aim to have in the going future. <laughs>
0: And so looking to the future, what are your aspirations for the future?
1: So my aspirations for the future, I have quite a few, but I'd really like to get into teaching. Um, I found that my, the way that I was taught at SRUC and my experience in education shifted completely. And I'd love to be able to provide that for somebody else and really inspire them to go forward. Actually, even though you might have flopped out of school and been completely rubbish and called daft and silly and not academic for most of your life, If you find something that you enjoy and you find something where you can be supported in the correct way, in the way that works for you, not the way that works for the rest of the world, then you can really progress and you can achieve whatever your aspiration is, be it a PhD, be it a professorship. So I would love to be able to to be there to support these people as they move forward and also just to support the population and be an advocate for the fact that UK agriculture is doing some fantastic things. Um, So the opportunities at SRUC for a lecturer are, are on the horizon, I hope. Um, uh, with a particular interest, I'll still be allowed to do some research on the side. Um, so that will open an up, another door for me to continue my research interests.
0: What advice would you give to anyone aiming to enter education who's got a similar background to you?
1: My only advice would be simply just to do it. You will not regret it. Education is fantastic. And it is a really old proverb, I guess, now that education is power. Um, and I strongly believe in that. It opens so many doors for you. It can build your confidence. You can make connections that will last a lifetime. And I don't just mean the people that you go to the pub with. I mean, once you get into an institution like SRUC, you meet some lovely people that will be there to support and mentor and guide you. So if you're interested in it, come along to an open day, come and speak to a a current student, come and speak to the lecturers and the staff, find which course and which campus is going to be the best fit for you. The style of learnings will depend on your own home structure. Perhaps you're a mature student, perhaps you're an early age student. There's so many different options for you. So please just don't be scared to approach us. Um, You definitely won't regret it.
0: That's great. Thanks so much. Time for your time today Jillian, and I think it's um, really really important to note what you said there and it, it resonates with me as well because going coming out of school as well I didn't have a great deal of qualifications and I really flourished at college and university and found my confidence there as well mm-hmm. and I still have a lot of the connections mm-hmm. that I formed as well um, during those years I, I still I've got a lot of professional colleagues who I went to co- um, college with who are now working in a similar field to me and still bounce mm-hmm. ideas off them, still meet up with them from time to time and you do form those networks and you're right, they do last they last you your whole life. And it's, mm-hmm. so, it's so important to have those. Um, if you are interested in coming to an open day, visit the website. It's sruc.ac.uk forward slash open days. You can also find out a lot more about open days that are available on the SRUC Study Instagram page and on our Facebook pages as well. Um, we've also got Facebook pages for all our campuses. So if you're interested in studying at a particular campus, please visit that particular campus Facebook page, for instance, for Barony, for Elmwood for craveston and for queens park and edinburgh and oatridge you can go into their all their facebook pages see the events that are coming up and then um, maybe come and have a look at the courses in person have a look at the facilities and things like that thanks so much for your time today jillian it's been absolutely fascinating listening to you and your journey is well, we'll i'm sure will continue to be fascinating as well
1: thank you very much thank you for having me
0: thanks jillian Thanks.